Uh, Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, or page 2, as we uh, continue our series in uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, This is uh, just our our third sermon in the series so far. We're on uh, dealing with the the seventh day of creation, uh, the first three verses of chapter 2. Uh, one thing I've, I've sort of come to realize um, in thinking through this series, um, and this probably goes without saying, I guess, maybe, maybe I've sort of come to realize it because I just assumed it for so long. Um, really and truly, everything you believe comes from Genesis. Everything you believe is grounded, rooted somewhere in Genesis. Everything you believe about, about mankind and who we are and what we're supposed to do or be like, it's, it's rooted here in Genesis. How you're supposed to spend your time, um, your views on marriage, uh, your views on God and His power and authority, your views on church life and, and life with brothers and sisters, it, it's all rooted in Genesis. Everything you believe really does begin right here in Genesis. Now let me encourage you, after we read this passage, don't close your Bibles and put them away. You're going to need them. Yes, everything you believe begins right here, but sometimes we need other places to reinforce or to clarify or to shape or mold. You're going to play a little bit of Bible drill this morning. We're going to, we're going to not spend our whole time in these three verses Uh, But we'll look to see what God's Word has to say about this seventh day, about the Sabbath day, uh, in both the Old and the New Testament. Uh, Genesis 2, beginning in verse 1 again, let me ask that you stand as we read God's Word together. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's Word stands forever. Let's pray together. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that You would work in our hearts and minds even now, that we would hear, uh, that we would understand, that we would submit, that we would enjoy the very Word of God as it's given to us for our lives. Teach us, grow us, mold us, conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in His name that we make this prayer. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you are um, perhaps too young to uh, remember a thing called blue laws. There was a, a time when these laws ruled the land. My guess is it was primarily in the South. You know, the name 
the, the story is there's, there's one guy who makes the claim that the reason they're called blue laws is because the laws were originally written on blue paper. I think that's pretty much been debunked. But I find that as a, a curious um, sort of observation. I've always wondered why they call them blue laws, and I, blue laws, and I didn't even bother to, uh, to, to look it up, to dig it up at all. But some of you are old enough um, to remember these things called blue laws. They, they ruled the land for decades, in many ways, even centuries. And then beginning in the 50s or 60s, you could sort of see them. You could watch them gradually fall away. There was a time, these blue laws, in case you aren't familiar, uh, there was a time when local and state governments regulated, mandated that stores not be open on Sunday. You couldn't, I mean, and, and you couldn't find a place to go. I mean, you couldn't go shopping. You couldn't do all these things that you may even take for granted today. But there was a time when local and state governments just mandated that stores couldn't be open. And then... Then they, then they created exemptions. Well, but you can for these certain things. You could even go into a department store and, and, and I could buy medicine, but I couldn't buy a shirt. It was that sort of distinction that they would make, even within the same store. And then you can watch over the last 20, 30, 40 years as these laws have gradually been repealed one by one by one. To the point now, and if, if this isn't the last domino, I can't imagine what is. I mean, there, maybe there are a couple more. I can't imagine how many more dominoes could fall after this one. But to the point that even in Athens, Alabama, there's conversation of selling alcohol on Sunday. See, right now, you can, you can go to the grocery store, but you can't buy alcohol. I think, at least I think that's something. That's, that's a topic of conversation and discussion. And, and if that isn't why blue laws were originally written, I don't know what is. If that isn't evidence that they have, you're sort of at the last domino and it's the end of, of blue laws as we know, know it. In fact, I, you don't even hear that term anymore. The term itself is it's gone. It's, it's shot. But the question is, where did cities and states get the notion that they could even mandate such a thing? Where did cities and states actually get the notion that they would or could or even should mandate that stores be closed on Sunday? Well, as I told you, everything you believe begins right here in Genesis. And it's, it's rooted right here in Genesis 2. And the, the seventh day of creation. They got those crazy wild notions from the Bible. Notice, really, two things I want us to see in this passage. The first is our day of rest. Do me a favor. Glance back through chapter 1 for just a second. And, and there's a refrain I want you to notice. Verse 10. The very end of verse 10 of Genesis 1. God saw that it was good. Verse 12, the very end of verse 12, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18, and God saw that it was good. Verse 25, which I can't find, and God saw that it was good. Over and over and over again throughout the creation account, 
we get this phrase, and God saw that it was good. What He had made, what He had created, what He had filled the sky with, or the earth with, or the seas with, or the, the, the trees with, whatever, it was good. And then finally, in verse 31, something different. And it was very good. What's different? What has changed? Well, what's changed is mankind, his image bearers, his vice regents are now on the earth. And it's after the creation of man that God looks at his creation and says, now that's very good. Here's one thing that should tell you. Not just about you as, as a person, as a human, as, as one created in God's image. It should also tell you that God's probably finished creating. Because where would you go from very good? You've had good, 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 good over and over and over again. And all of a sudden you get to the end of chapter 1, the end of day 6. Man is on the earth and things look very good. Creation is very good. Where would you go from there? Over and over and over again, again God has declared His work good until He finally declared it very good. Well, actually, in chapter 2, he plays a trump card, if you will. He does go beyond very good to holy, verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He sanctified it. He consecrated it. He, he set it apart from the others. When you take blessing and holification together in verse 3, God is designing this day to be unlike any of the others. He's designing day 7 to be nothing like days 1 through 6. It's intended to say this is a, a, a different time. You realize God's not bound by time. You, you realize that he's, he's outside of that and even created it, which that's, that don't, I, that, I don't know how to do that. But God creates time. And you, you have this sense, this regular sense throughout the first six days. He's created day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And, and there's sort of regular time. And you get to verse Three of chapter 2 and now you realize you've entered you've left regular time and entered into holy time you've entered into a day that is not like any of the others and it's that way by its design of course prior to this that which was good that which was very good was for lack of a better word, stuff. The stuff God made. The things that God created. The things that were good and very good in Genesis 1, it's, it's things. It's us. It's animals. It's plants. Moon and stars. He does bless animals, and He does bless mankind. Here, however, it's time that He blesses 
and holifies, sanctifies, consecrates, sets apart. It's not stuff, but it's, it's time. It's a, a fragment of time. It's a seventh of his work week. And it's, it's that time frame, that time window that he declares to be holy and consecrated. Now you'll notice, if you're just comparing refrains from chapter 1, if you're just comparing refrains from the first six days till now, you'll notice there's another refrain that's missing. This is the first day without an evening and a morning. And so some will contend, some will argue, well, that just means that we don't really have the Sabbath the same way that they did then. Because see, there's no morning and evening, so it's really all... Uh, God's rest from that point on. Well, in a sense, that's true. Because His work of creation is done. At that point, His, his work of creation is complete. He doesn't, doesn't do that anymore, except to create families and, and nations and the church. But He doesn't create the physical world anymore. That work is done. So in in that sense, He is resting from that, from Genesis 2 on all the way till the end of time. But if that's all Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wanted us to hear, He went about it a pretty weird way. a, A pretty confusing way. Besides, our own calendars reflect this very pattern of Genesis 1 and 2, you almost wish chapter 2 began in verse 4, don't you? I mean, you really almost wish that the seventh day was the end of, of chapter, one. chapter 1. It would make maybe a little more sense to us. It would flow a little better to us. But our, our calendars reflect these seven days of creation. You know, there were other cultures even before Abraham. That, that followed lunar calendars, solar calendars. They, they had the notion of 60 seconds in a minute and of 24 hours in a day. But seven days in a week doesn't fit. Seven days in a week doesn't... You don't, you don't figure that out by watching the sun and the moon and the stars. That comes... From this passage, our our calendars are designed, created, based on Genesis 1 and the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest. You even have the option on all your technological devices, on all your eye devices, of setting up your week. Which Do you want Sunday on the front end or do you want it on the back end? You can even adjust your technology to to put Sunday where... You want it, but it's still going to follow a seven-day pattern. We see here in Genesis 2 our day of rest. Now my guess is that if I were to wake you up from a nap, if I showed up at your house about 4 o'clock this afternoon and busted in the door and said, Quick, where do you find the Sabbath in the Bible? my guess is the majority of us would run to the Ten Commandments. We would start there. We would say, oh, well, God commanded a Sabbath rest for Israel, for Old Testament Israel. He commanded them uh, to, to rest 
the seventh day, one day a week. And so it must start right there at the Ten Commandments. Let me show you something. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Thus begins, as I promised, thus begins your Bible drill. Two things in Exodus 20, beginning in verse 8, as we read of the fourth commandment. There are two aspects of this fourth commandment that point us backwards in time. You know this, verse 3, the first commandment, you shall have no. Verse 4, the second commandment, you shall not. Verse 7, the third commandment, you shall not. Verse 8, the fourth commandment, remember. The fourth commandment assumes you already know something. So when God gives the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, He bases the fourth commandment not on some new uh, idea, not to record for them You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name. Remember. He's pointing them backwards. So in in the very first word of the fourth commandment, he's having them look backwards. So the question is, how far back do they need to look? Well, actually, they don't need to look that far back. They actually don't have to remember. See, you know, you, you reach an age where you forget things. And I unfortunately am, have been there for years. But, but you forget things. You forget details. You forget time span. We joke in our house. You know, we'll, we'll say the other day. Remember the other day when? Uh, that was nine weeks ago. You know, that, that's way too long back to be called the other day. Kids, you're familiar with this. Your parents, they forget things. Right? We write everything down so we don't forget. God tells us, Right here, remember the Sabbath day. So how, how far back do they have to remember? I think even I could handle this. They only have to re- remember back a couple of years. Because they've already experienced the Sabbath in Exodus 16. Back up, just turn your Bible. I'm guessing for some of well, if you have a big study Bible, it may be 10 pages. But for most of you, it's... Two pages. You back up two pages and you're in Exodus 16. And God has promised to give the children of Israel as they're traveling from Egypt. They've been delivered from Egypt, freed from bondage, slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. And God promises to give them bread from heaven. And notice in verse 4, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, we could read the rest of the chapter. We won't. But what happens is if you gather too much, whatever you cooked that was was left over or whatever you gathered that was more than you needed for the day, if you kept it overnight, the next day it was bad. You had to go back out the next morning. You had to throw it out and go back out the next morning and gather for that day. Except, verse 5, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And you find later that 
that the leaders of Israel sort of grumble to Moses. Hey, they're, they're gathering too much. They're taking up too much on the sixth day. Moses, they're out gathering twice the amount they're supposed to get. And Moses goes, well, that's because God told them to. And overnight on the sixth night into the seventh day, it didn't spoil. It didn't. Verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Don't you love waking up in the morning and discovering that, that your leftovers don't stink and they don't have worms? Well, the, the promise to the children of Israel was that they, when they, when they, they, they wouldn't go back out on the Sabbath day to gather for that day. It was kept and preserved. Remember the Sabbath day. You've experienced it. You saw it back in Exodus 16. But notice the rationale that God gives in the fourth commandment in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he makes reference to Genesis 2. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. And then he goes through the list in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that fills them, all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What's the rationale for the fourth commandment? Remember? Well, yeah, I remember not having to go out on the seventh day to gather more manna. I remember that on the sixth day I was commanded to gather twice as much. And I remember that what I gathered didn't spoil the next morning. It didn't stink and it didn't have worms in it. Why is that our pattern? Why is that the pattern for Israel in Exodus 20? Why is that our pattern today? Because it's grounded in creation. Because God created everything in six days and rested the seventh day, set it apart, made it holy. Our day of rest. What we see really is our day of rest is modeled in the Old Testament. But I also want you to see very briefly that our day of rest is modified in the New Testament. Let me just... For the sake of speed, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We read just a few minutes ago, Mark 2. Uh, if Jesus had wanted to say, I'm going to fulfill the Sabbath, Mark 2 would have been a perfect place to do it. Uh, but He didn't. Uh, we could look at Acts 20 when... Uh, the saints gathered on the first day of the week in Acts 20, verse 7. Here the, the picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So he's writing to the church in Corinth, here's what you're to do with the collection that you take up for missions. Verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up 
as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. The picture there is that, that, that each and every week, the first day of every week, as the saints gathered together at the church in Corinth, they took up a collection there to save so that when Paul came, they could distribute funds to Paul and through Paul to other churches. The pattern is, of course, as we confessed our faith, affirmed our faith just a few minutes ago, the pattern until the resurrection of Christ is the seventh day of the week. And after His resurrection, it changes to the first day of the week. Our day of rest is modeled in the Old Testament, but it's modified in the New. Never does the New Testament say, well, we don't do that in the, anymore. They just said, we do it on a different day now. It's been moved to the first day of the week. We see our day of rest modeled in the Old Testament, modified in the New. But I also want you to see our way of rest. Notice verse 1. There are several things here. God's work of creation is, is done. The heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them, everything that was filled the heavens and the earth, all the birds that were going to be created, all the land animals, the sea creatures, mankind, all that God was going, the creepy crawling ones and the, the, the big wilderness ones, they've all been created. The heavens and the earth and all the host of them are finished. That work of creating is, is done. It's over. And you notice, I hope, I tried to read when we read the passage earlier. You read these verses, and it, you kind of want to say, why do you keep saying that? You, notice, God finished His work, verse 2, that He had done and at the end of verse 2, from all his work that he had done. And then at the end of verse 3, God rested from all his work that he had done. Over and over and over again, these phrases are repeated. That God is resting from the work that he has done on the seventh day. You have to understand. Um, there are times when... There are times, and not many times, mind you. Let's be fair. They're not many. But there, there are times when I like certain aspects of yard work. Uh, sorry, of exercising dominion. That was what I said I was going to say. Uh, mowing the lawn can sort of be a, a rewarding experience because, because you actually finish it. You know in your life that that Monday's coming around again, and that the work you're constantly, you think you're doing, you feel like you're just constantly doing the same thing over and over again, it never goes away. It's, it's always there. There's always homework to do. There's always math to learn. There's always something wrong with something in the house that's not working. There's always lawn grass to be cut. There are always plants that grow up too big and weeds that grow in the, the vegetable garden. There's always something to be done. There's always work. One of the rewarding experiences for, for mowing the lawn is it, 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 you sort of you finish and you look at it and go, it's done, it's complete. 
uh, at least for a time. There are those times when you think to yourself, I set aside this much time to do my work. I got done early. Now I have extra time on my hands. That's not the situation in the first seven days of creation. It's not like God got, so, got finished so early with the work of creating that He had this extra day left over. And he, he decided that He could spend it with His feet propped up on the coffee table or laid out on the sofa taking a nap. It's not like He had a day left over and needed something to do with it. So He chose to rest on it. He's created time. He's not bound by time. He designed it. So He actually had to create this day for the purpose of resting. It's not like He used it for rest because He had it. He created it for the purpose of resting. So why does God rest? People are funny. Um, Some of you are night owls. Some of you are not. Uh, some of you fall asleep on the couch every single night at about you know, 7.15, 7.30 if it's a crazy night. Others of you just get started around 10 or 11. I had roommates in college that you know, would you know, 10.30, 11 o'clock say, hey, let's go. And I'd say, y'all have fun. I'm, I'm, I, I can't do... We, we get tired. We need sleep. We, we have to sleep. God's not tired. God doesn't rest because He's sleepy. God doesn't rest because He's tired. We, we pointed this out, by the way, a couple of weeks ago. Just how easy creation was for Him. In fact, that's part of the point of Genesis 1, is to say, look how easy this was for God. How did He do everything? He didn't, I, there's not a hammer. There's not a nail. There's not a two-by-four. There there's, there's nothing. It's, and God said. He speaks, and creation appears. He speaks into the darkness, and order shows up. It was that simple for God to to create. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can't get tired. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He can't get tired. Notice, too, that God rests from His work of creation. He doesn't stop doing everything for which we are thankful. We wouldn't exist if He had stopped doing everything. In fact, let me just show you real quick. Turn to John chapter 5. Even Jesus recognizes this truth. In John chapter 5, I'm going to read just one verse. It's in the context of uh, Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath. Those around Him are complaining that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath and would offer forgiveness. And we read this in John 5, 17, But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. The, the, The way it's written is intended to say, my Father has always been working and has never stopped. That should communicate to us that 
that Jesus says, look, my Father has always been at work. He's never stopped working. But He rested on the seventh day. The Bible tells us He holds everything together by His powerful hand. He sustains His creation. The Bible speaks of His, his works of providence orchestrating and ordering things according to His perfect, infinite plan. Those He never stopped doing. He ceased from His work of creation, but didn't stop doing that which He had to do to maintain His creation. We have this picture here of God resting to glory in His work to celebrate the accomplishment of His work of creation on the first six days. It's a day designed for rest from normal work activity. Notice too, Adam and Eve's very first day on the earth was the day of rest. They're created on day six their first full day of life on the earth is the Sabbath day, the day of rest, a day of pure fellowship with their Creator. A day on which they get to enjoy unhindered, unencumbered fellowship with God. So how do we rest? What's our way of rest? Well, the, the pattern is that we rest from our work of the other six days. We're given six days to labor, six days to work, six days to do all the things that we need to do, and a day to recover and to prepare for the next six weeks. See, that's the reality. We have six more days coming. Life is going to continue. That unless God, unless Christ returns, unless the, the world ends tonight, there will be evening and morning and there will be Monday. And we'll get up and we'll go to work and we will begin yet another pattern of six days of work from which we need a day of rest. We are finite creatures. We need to remember the Sabbath day. We need to remember the Lord's day. We need to remember that we're given a day to rest in Christ, to rest from our worldly work and care for fellowship with God's people and with God Himself. Have you ever thought about every time you go to sleep at night, you admit two truths you realize this? You at every time you sleep, even those people who have no interest in God whatsoever, anytime a human being sleeps, we admit, we confess that we're just creatures. That we're not infinite. That our bodies get weak and break down. We get tired on, on the, the, in a 24-hour span as evidence of the fact that over our lives, our bodies are not getting stronger and better. We're going the other way. And at the end of a day, when you get tired, it's because your body is finite. It's because you're just a creature. And then you go and you lay down in your bed and you fall asleep and you snore 
And the second truth that you admit is that you're trusting someone else to care for creation while you sleep. No matter how lofty you think of yourself, no matter how great you think mankind is, you can, you can throw off God and, and say we are the, the, not just the pinnacle of creation, but man is the ultimate good any, anywhere and everywhere. And then fall asleep and recognize that you're really not in charge. You're really not in control. God gives us a day in seven because we're creatures dependent on a Creator. Because we're finite, fallen, broken creatures who grow tired and weak and will ultimately die and we're dependent on our Creator for everything. He gives us a day of rest as evidence of that. But He also gives us a day of rest to fellowship with our Redeemer as redeemed, fallen creatures, as those who have have run headlong into sin, which we'll get to in Genesis 3. We'll get there eventually. But as creatures who have, who have looked at God and said, no, no, I want to be God. I don't want to follow Your way. I want to do it my way. Who has then sent His Son to redeem us and draw us to Himself. We have a day designed not just for rest as created beings resting in our Creator, but as redeemed beings resting in our Redeemer. We look on this day of rest to a rest of eternity. Hebrews 4 makes the connection for us. The weekly Sabbath is a, a picture of eternity resting from all our work and resting in Christ. Our day of rest and our way of rest. Let me just make a couple of applications from this passage. First is... This And you may balk at this idea on the face of it. There's an evangelistic aspect to keeping the Sabbath. As crazy as that may sound in your head right now. I recently listened to a seminary president citing a novel, and I, I lost the name of the novel somewhere in the process. And in the novel, the, the writer speaks of that we as people, we need three things. We need a God, we need a history, and we need a community. Our use of the Lord's Day offers to people a God because we gather to worship that God every single time the Lord's Day rolls around, the first day of every single week. We worship because we have a God And He's the God of the Bible. We worship on Sunday because we have a God who matters so much that He affects our calendars. We worship on Sunday because we have 2,000 years of history of people worshiping God on Sunday. We worship with others because we have a community. That's what the church is. There's an evangelistic aspect to keeping the Lord's Day holy. We witness to our neighbors to their, some of their greatest felt needs in the way we use our Sundays. We model for them a people who love God 
Love a God who first loved us, who love a God that affects our calendars and has given us a people with whom we might worship. The second application is this. We can rest physically one day in seven. But unless you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, your soul will never know rest. Your body can recover. Your body can rest one day and be ready to face the weak. But if your soul is not trusting in Christ and in Him alone for your salvation, your soul knows nothing but turmoil. Wrestling, struggling, striving, earning, and getting nowhere. This day not only gives us physical rest, but it also reminds us, it drives us to Christ in whom we find spiritual rest. Rest from gaining God's favor and trusting in the person and work of Christ. His blood and righteousness that grants our acceptance to the Father. Trust in Christ. Find in Him rest for your soul. And then, this day of rest is not a drudgery, but it's a joyful anticipation of eternity with Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a day, a day designed to grant us strength physically, a day designed for, for weak, feeble, created beings whose body grow weak and tired, that we might be refreshed physically in order to go back out into yet another week of six days of labor. But Father, we thank You too for the, the joyful refreshment that the Lord's Day is to our souls. Being reminded over and over again that we are in Christ, that Christ is our hope, both in this life and in the one that is to come. To be fed and nourished and strengthened to go out into a world that is opposed to Christ. Grant us the grace to live for Him, we pray in His name. Amen.